At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying his word together. In a culture growing in hostility, it's clear how far we are from what the kingdom of God should look like. As followers of Christ, it can be difficult to stand firm in what we are taught and what we believe in. It's easy to let idols slip into our lives without us even realizing it, especially when the world we live in puts people on a pedestal. In our new series, Daniel, The Clash of Cultures, we'll be looking at the life of Daniel and how even then Daniel had to navigate a culture who opposed God. We'll discover how we can put our trust in God regardless of our circumstances and how God is sovereign overall. Join us this new year as we study the life of Daniel and learn how to apply the truths inside this book to our own lives. Today, as we get ready to go into the Word of God, though, I want us to to just consider one verse of scripture that um, I really have been pondering all week and one that came up frequently in our talks with our university students. You know, I think it's the most sobering passage of scripture for the believer when taken seriously. It comes from the book of Romans, Romans chapter one, verse number 17. We're not gonna camp out there, but it simply says this, that the just shall live by faith. How many have heard that before? The just shall live by faith. Now, I call it one of the most sobering passages of Scripture because I'm convinced that the average person, including me, would prefer not to have to live by faith. The truth of the matter is that most of us would prefer rather to be in control, to have enough resources at our fingertips that we didn't have to depend on God. Uh, for everything, that we could know and forecast our outcomes. But God doesn't allow work, uh, life to, to work that way. There are certain times when God allows difficult and overwhelming circumstances to come into your life. And I want you to just track with me for a moment because some of you are living in this season right now. And it's in those overwhelming days that are never fun, those difficult moments of adversity that at times test even the fabric of our soul, that we discover clearly that God is who he says he is and that he can do what he says he can do. I'm arguing today that if you really want to get a glimpse of who God really is, there's no other way to do it except for to walk through the valleys of life. And it's in those valleys that we need to be reminded that his strength is made perfect even in our weakness. To put it another way, Christians should be at their best when life and circumstances are at their worst. Earlier today, uh, my colleague Paul referenced the fact that tomorrow we'll be observing once again the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And there's a lot of uh, people who unfortunately only know him as a civil rights leader, only know some of his quibs and quotes, but at the root, what drove him was his faith. He was a Christian. He was the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And he said this about living by faith in difficult days. He says, the ultimate measure of a man is not found in where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. I don't know if you have uh, recognized, maybe this is a newsflash for you, but we're living in such days. We are living in days of challenge and controversy. 
The moral order of things has been upended. Things that used to be, again, unthinkable now are unquestionable. And Christians find themselves displaced in our culture. So how do we navigate during those days? That's exactly why I and uh, the rest of our leadership team thought it would be appropriate that we open this year with a deep dive into the book of Daniel. I want to again invite you to join me there. Open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Daniel. We're going to be looking at chapter 2, 49 verses of fun, and we'll try our best to uh, get through this uh, powerful and and, uh, really important chapter. But when you step into the world of Daniel, you step into the world of Babylon. And it's a time where much like us in our time, Daniel and God's people in his generation are in a time of challenge and controversy. A time when the moral order of things is upset. A time in which the people of God feel displaced in the culture that is not much like our own time. It's an interesting thing that a book that is written centuries and centuries ago can feel just as relevant today, and I hope to prove that to you, that the ancient text of Daniel is just as relevant today as it was the moment that it was penned. And that's the beauty of God's word. One of the earmarks of divinity is that God's word is both timely and timeless. That though it was written in time to a particular group of people, it is written for all time for our benefit and our edification as well. Daniel lives in the most powerful kingdom in all the world. Hopefully you can resonate. We too live in the most powerful land in all the world. Much like us, Babylon was progressive. It was powerful, um, but it was also secular, or what they would call pagan, what we would call secular. They had detached their ethics from God. And whenever you detach your ethics from God, something deadly begins to happen. As powerful as uh, Babylon was in its military might, in its intellect, in its artistry, in its economics, there was a quiet cancer that was decaying the soul of an empire and threatened it from within. It was its moral decay. You see, this is the one lesson that it seems like powerful nations and powerful kingdoms and powerful empires fail to learn and continue to repeat throughout human history. That wherever you begin to see the moral decay of a people, eventually kingdoms will fall. This is true for Babylon. It was true for Rome. It was true also for, in many ways, the British Empire. And if America doesn't wake up, it'll be true for us as well. So goes the moral uh, compass of a people. So goes that nation. Daniel was a part of what was, in many ways, the the greatest social engineering program that history ever records. King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonian Empire, started what is now looked at as the precursor to the university system. It is the first that we see it, and we saw it in chapter 1, and I won't recap much of it, but just endure this for a moment because it sets the stage for what we're going to study today. It's important that we know this backstory. And so his assimilation program 
program was to launch military campaigns, and he would go and conquer peoples and nations, and then he would take the best and the brightest among them, and he would train them for three years. Those who were of the upper echelons would serve in the king's court. They would stay in Babylon and help to provide leadership there to maintain, in theory, the strength of the empire. Those who were second tier, they would be deployed into back to the lands where they were captured from to provide rulership over their providence there. And then those who were third tier were done away with. You didn't stand before the king. You didn't serve the king. You didn't retain your life if you were not of the first or second rank in the Babylonian plan of things. And so here is Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael, these four Hebrew friends from the tribe of Judah in a displaced land, captives, if you will, in Babylon, exiles in Babylon, much like us feeling like exiles in the culture that doesn't seem to align itself with our values as much as it used to. And in verse number 20, we hear this testimony concerning these boys. After the three years of training, I don't know if a higher compliment can be given than verse number 20. It says, and in every manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired, this is chapter one, about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and the enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. So here they are being tested, oral quizzes, written tests and examination. And these Hebrew boys stood before this powerful king as young men, some would even argue teenagers or early 20s at the best, and they were 10 times better. But let me be clear that what made them 10 times better was not just their acumen. What made them 10 times better was not just their intelligence. What made them 10 times better was that they were convinced that there was a God They were convinced that there was a God who reigned sovereignly over human history and that that God alone had wisdom. And they maintained their faith in God even at the point of sacrifice. You see, one of the things that came along with being a captive in Babylon, it was a it was a terrible deal on one hand in that your nation was conquered. It was humiliating. But on the other hand, you got this full expense paid education. And you also got a chance to eat at the, uh, at the king's table. You got the most choice foods in all of the kingdom because you were considered to be a cut above. But Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they refused to eat of the king's choice food. Imagine that, refusing to eat of the king's best foods. Why? Because those foods were sacrificed to idols. They were sacrificed to the gods and Hananiah and Daniel and Mishael and Azariah had purpose in their hearts that there is one God and that he alone is to be worshiped. You know, we live in a secular age that's interesting because our secular age on the one hand would deny the existence of anything supernatural, would even mock things like the virgin birth or consider it anti-scientific to celebrate a resurrection. But on the other hand, we're a polytheistic society that says that every God can be worshiped. 
worship. You can worship Buddha. You can worship Krishna, Mohammed. You can worship any of the gods, even Jesus. Just don't say that Jesus is exclusive. Just don't say he's the only one. Just don't say there's only one path to heaven. As long as you are ubiquitous, as long as you can say that all all roads lead to heaven, then it's okay. But Daniel wouldn't fall for that. And I pray that we won't fall for that and that our kids won't fall for that. There is only one God, and besides him, there is no other. And because they honor God, he blessed them. One more verse from chapter 1, and then we'll go to chapter 2, verse number 17. And it talks about how God blessed them. And it says in verse number 17 of chapter 1, in these four use, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. That is not a throwaway verse. It is there for two reasons. Number one, to remind us that their source was God, that every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. How many believe that? You know, this weekend was full of snow for us and me and my kids on uh, Friday night, got out and started shoveling. Saturday, we shoveled this morning a little bit more. And at first for the kids, it started out fun as it does. And then they realized daddy tricked us again. We're actually working. (laughs) Even the little one had her own little shovel. Everybody's working in the Brooks household. One of those moments where you thank God for five kids. But after we came back in the house and had some hot chocolate and stuff, uh, I said to them, I want you to know a powerful lesson. God has blessed mommy and daddy with this home. We own this home. But with blessing comes responsibility. And we have a responsibility to make, maintain it, to care for it. We're also neighbors. And so that means we, we shouldn't just shovel our snow. But if a neighbor needs help, we should be shoveling their snow as well, to which they almost passed out. And <laughs> so I stopped before I, there was a mutiny. But with blessing comes responsibility. Who is the blesser of all things? Every good and perfect gift comes from? Every good and perfect gift comes from? Never stop uh, repeating that to yourself and to your family. That is why we thank him every morning when we arise. Because this is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. That is why we thank God for every meal. That's why we thank God for our homes. That's why we thank God for friendship and family. Because every gift comes from? And so God blessed them. He gave them, notice, intellect. He blessed them intellectually with uh, understanding. He blessed them um, practically with wisdom. We're going to talk about this more, that uh, knowledge and wisdom are two different things. Knowledge is information. Wisdom is knowing how to apply that uh, to maximize its benefit. He blessed them with that, but he also blessed them spiritually. Notice he gave Daniel this special ability to interpret dreams and vision. Now, why would we be given that? It's to set up chapter two, because chapter two is interesting in that it starts with an impossible situation, one that is at the apex of being overwhelming. And the question is, why would God allow an impossible situation to come into our lives that would overwhelm us? And the answer is to drive us to dependency on him. The answer of Daniel over and over again is that the only way you survive difficult moments is to live by faith and to believe that God is greater. That's the big idea, that God is greater. Look at verse number one of chapter two. It says, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, 
Now, I could easily keep reading, but I would pause there for my friends who question the credibility, the historicity of the Bible. The Bible is not mythology. It gives us dates and times and rulers and kingdoms and lands to invite investigation to prove itself to be historical and faithful, to be attested by archaeology and historicity. And so we have not just any random year, but this is the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians and the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. You see what they did there? They said, uh, okay, you want to know what your dream means? Tell us what it means. Tell us what you dreamed, and we'll tell you the interpretation. This was a smart king. He was intelligent. The king said in verse number five, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the king... Uh, I'm sorry, the word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from, uh, from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. Look at the wisdom of the king. The king says, no, we're not going to play that game, and I tell you details, and you tell me some vague interpretation. We're not playing that game. Any of us can play that game. No, I want you to do two things. Tell me what I dreamed, and then tell me the interpretation. Why? Now, don't forget this. It's because my heart is troubled. It's because I got anxiety. My stress level is high. We live in a generation that has off-the-charts anxiety. The thing that just marked me on Tuesday and Thursday as we went around the room and college student after college student shared how we can be praying for them was the enormous amount of anxiety and stress and depression that this generation was, is under. And I, and I talked to those who were with us, and I talked to even my wife, and I said, I, I remember being a freshman in college, and yeah, there was uncertainty about the future, but I don't remember having that level of anxiety. It was off the charts. And yet here is this ancient leader saying, I know a little bit about anxiety. I know a little bit about depression. I know a little bit about stress. My spirit is troubled and I need answers. So he turns to the spiritual leaders of his day. Look at their response. Jump with me to verse number 10. It's an interesting response. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Did you see that? What an indictment against the Babylonian worldview. 
What an indictment against a secular culture. What an indictment against naturalism. This is them saying to the king what we should all know, and that is secularism and naturalism is never sufficient for satisfying the deepest needs of the human heart. If you're looking for peace, king, you got to look beyond humanity. If you're looking for peace in the midst of a troubled spirit, the answer to anxiety, if you're looking for the answer to your stress, it will not be found in humanism. This is the prevailing thought of our day, that we have reached such a moral and intellectual sophistication that we can do away with the need of God. But just one difficult dream explains to us how small we are. Just one little virus shuts down the entire world. Just one moment can dwarf us and remind us that, no, we need something beyond earth, something beyond humanity. And they said the answer is in the gods. But yet where they fell short and where Christianity takes us further is to remind us that he did come and dwell among us, that his name is Emmanuel, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. How many thank God that he tabernacled among us and took on flesh and lived a sinless life and said, all power in heaven and earth is in me. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Maybe you're here today and you need relief from your stress. Hear me. Hear the words of Daniel. Maybe you're here today and you need relief from your anxiety. Maybe you've been troubled in spirit. Maybe you've seen visions or disrupted in your, your sleep and your dreams are haunting you. Maybe you know exactly what Nebuchadnezzar is going through. Let me tell you, there is peace that is found in only one, and he is the Prince of Peace, and his name is Jesus So here they stand. The king was furious. I pay you to give me answers, and you're telling me there are no answers, and so off with your head. He issues an edict, a verdict, that all of their homes were to be destroyed, that all of their lives were to be ended. Those wise men. In verse number 17, we pick up Daniel and we see three ways in which God is greater. Look at verse number 17. It says, Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. He's letting them know, Boys, we may be low on the wrong of power and authority, but we're in trouble. And you need to know the king has issued out an impossible task. These Chaldeans were right. No man could solve this puzzle, and our lives are on the line. So what will we do? Verse number 18. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, blessed 
be the name of God forever and ever. To whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. Verse number 23, to you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might. And have now made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Isn't that amazing? Isn't this exactly what a secular world wants to deny? That God gives wisdom. And what Daniel wants us to know, and I pray that this is not lost on any of us, is that God is greater in many ways, but God is greater in wisdom. That God's wisdom is greater. I said earlier that there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is information. We are told that we live in the information age. And if you're not careful, that will cause you to deify yourself, to feel omniscient. I mean, after all, we got Microsoft, we got Google, we got Alexa, we got Siri. We can ask any question of these um, automated and robotic uh, technologies, and they will seemingly in a second give us anything we want to know, anything that we are curious about. But knowledge can't save you. Wisdom is what saves you. Because wisdom is the right application of knowledge. Wisdom is what you get from God in being able to maximize that knowledge by applying it to life, knowing how to live. That's why I can say with confidence that the generations that came before us may not have had all the degrees we had, may not have had all the money and excess in technology we have, but they were much wiser and they knew how to live much more effectively That's why with less money, with less degrees, with less technology, they had a more peaceful life. It's because they had what this generation lacks. We have information, they had wisdom. And what we need to pray in a a generation that is malnourished when it comes to wisdom, we need to pray for God's wisdom. But notice this, notice that he is not just wise with greater wisdom. And that's what Daniel says in verse number 20. He says, blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. All year long, I've been studying with my, my, my oldest son, the book of Proverbs. And, and it's my prayer that, that he will just know one thing. I don't expect him to remember every proverb, but I pray that the big message he gets is that God is the source of all wisdom. But I love verse number 22, because if we only have verse number 20, that would be enough to praise him. But verse number 22, it blesses my heart. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows. He knows what is in the darkness. And the light dwells with him. He delights in sharing his wisdom with us. You know, one of the things I love is when my kids come to me and ask me, Dad, how does this work? Or, Dad, what do you think about this? Or, Dad, how should I navigate this situation? 
and enjoy it. If you have young children while they're young, because as the teenage years grow, those questions and those uh, inquiries become less and less. As a matter of fact, I've come to realize that you're brilliant when they're young, you know nothing when they're teenagers, and you might know a little bit as they get a little bit older. And that's kind of how life goes. But the fact of the matter is, is that there's never a time where those kids come to me asking for my wisdom that I don't want to share it. And so it is with God. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Does any man lack wisdom? Let him ask of God. Maybe you're in this place today, and all of this is enormously practical. Maybe you're in this place today, and you need wisdom. Maybe you, like Daniel and his friends, are facing an overwhelming challenge. God sends those challenges. He's sovereign over those challenges. God, I don't know how to navigate this season with my kids. I don't know how to navigate this season with my spouse. I don't know how to navigate this season at work. God knows exactly what needs to enter our lives to drive us to him. And when you find yourself in a place of dependency, when you find yourself like Daniel and his friends found themselves, saying, God, you alone are the source of all wisdom, then you're in a good place. So God reveals the dream, and what is the dream? Time doesn't permit me to um, unpack all of this, but I would encourage you, to look at your screen, we have a, a, a slide that I want to put on the screen, and if our media team can put it up, because what Daniel realized is that King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about this large figure. There was this large statue of a man, and the head of the man was gold, the chest of the man was silver, the torso and going down to his loins was bronze. His legs were arm, and uh, they split into two, as legs do. So he had two legs of arm. By the time you get down to his feet, you see arm mixed with clay, and his feet were clay. But the dream doesn't stop there. He sees this enormous statue, but then he sees this stone that is carved out of a mountain without the hands of men. There's no human hand that carves out this stone. This stone is so big that it blasts the statue. It breaks it into pieces. As a matter of fact, Daniel describes it as being turned into dust. And the dust is blown away by the wind. And the only thing that remains is the rock that is a mountain. And all of the glory is given to that mountain. So what does this dream mean? So here is Daniel describing the dream to the king, verse number 36. This was the dream. Now we tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given whatever, wherever they dwell, the children of men, the, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. So he says to the king, you are the head of gold on this statue. But then after you will come another king and kingdom that will dominate the world that will be of silver. And then after that kingdom will come another kingdom that will be of bronze. And after that kingdom will come another kingdom that will be made of iron. And that kingdom will be divided. 
and even weaker than the ones that came before it. And after that will come a kingdom of clay. And when that kingdom of clay comes, there will be a stone that will be carved out, not with human hands. And that stone, which the builders rejected, will crush all the kingdoms of men. It will establish its dominance. And of that kingdom, there will be no end forever and ever. This is the interpretation of the dream. Can you imagine being a teenager or in your early 20s being called before the most powerful man on the planet and telling that man, you are powerful, but understand this, your power is a borrowed power. Your power has been leased to you, it's been given to you, and it's only but for a season given to you by God. All of your reign, all of your glory, all of your power has been given to you by God. And oh, by the way, there's somebody coming after you. No great nation believes that there will ever be another great nation. Babylon didn't believe that the Persian Empire would come next. By the way, that's the Silver Empire. And the Persians never believed that the Greeks would come after them. That's the Bronze Empire. And the Greeks never believed that the Roman Empire would ever come. That's the Iron Empire. And the Romans were divided between East and West, those two legs. And then after them comes other empires like the European or the British Empire. And here's the thing that we have to understand is that as we stand here in America today, imagine saying that as powerful as America is, there's another kingdom coming after it, that it won't always have the power and the prominence that it has. It almost sounds like heresy because we don't believe that kingdoms end. The sun never sets on the British Empire. Rome will last forever. This was what men thought. But the truth of the matter is there's only one kingdom that lasts forever. And do you hear the message of Daniel? Here is the message of Daniel. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there's something about that name. Jesus, Jesus, there is something about that name. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away. So therefore, my friends, don't commit political idolatry. Don't elevate kings and kingdoms to a place that only the Messiah should be elevated to. We live in a political world that causes us to think that the next election is going to bring us a utopia. The next elected official will be the Messiah. He will make all things right. She will fix what's wrong. But kings and kingdoms will come and pass away. The glory of Babylon is still felt to today. As a matter of fact, they were so advanced in their art that the British Museum of Art still maintains a full exhibit to them. They were so advanced in their technology that just about every single one of us, even to this day, wear a reflection of their intellect on our bodies. Even today, as I look at my watch, it's because the Babylonians were so advanced in their scientific acumen that they were the first to measure time in units of 60 figuring that it was the best way to measure an hour. And so even as I look at my watch, it's a testament to the wisdom of the Babylonians. We already saw in Genesis chapter 11, they were building skyscrapers in Genesis. Think about that architectural prowess. But yet Babylon fell. Persians fell. The Greeks fell. Rome fell. All because of their moral decay. 
all because they refuse to acknowledge that the Lord is the one who determines right from wrong. Blessed are those who people whose God is the Lord. If we want to be able to see the joy that never ends, our trust should not be in earthly kingdoms, but in his kingdom. And how many thank God that he is king of kings, that he is Lord of lords, that he is unelectable, unimpeachable, and he reigns forever and ever. Not only does God, is God's wisdom greater, God's kingdom is greater. And let me end here. Because God is greater in all of his authority as well. Look at verses 47 through 49. The king, after hearing the interpretation of his dream, said this. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief perfect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Why are we told that? It's to set us up for chapter 3. And in chapter 3, we're going to see how much men seem to worship themselves in earthly kingdoms and how God brings all of it to naught. God's wisdom is greater, friends. There is only one Lord. His name is Jesus. And you and I do ourselves well when we put our trust in him. How do we remain faithful in a hostile culture? How do we navigate difficult days? It's to live by faith and to believe that God is greater. How many believe that with all of your hearts? I want to invite you to stand with me. And as you stand I want to encourage you to go deeper in this study, maybe in a life group, maybe on your own. Um, how many, by the show of hands, got our study guide? How many got our study guide? Many of you did. There are about 150 more in the bookstore if you want to stop there, if you did not, so that you can continue to go further. 30 minutes just doesn't suffice in trying to unpack all of the wisdom of these chapters. But I pray that you will walk away with one very profound message, that without God... Uh, our lives are in trouble. The Bible says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. If you really want to be wise, surrender your life to Jesus. He alone can give you wisdom and peace, understanding and bless your life. Bow your heads with me. Father, as we close this moment, uh, Lord, I just pray for those who have yet to believe that today will be the day of faith and trust, that they will put their confidence in you and that today will be the day of salvation. For those of us who have believed and maybe doubts are beginning to creep in, I pray that you would remind us that we have not believed in vain, that our faith is not in vain. Help us to remember, blessed is the man whose God is the Lord. And as we leave this place, but never your presence, help us to be faithful to declare your good news, the gospel, until all have heard, until Christ returns. In Jesus' mighty and matchless name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.